Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Bill Fletcher Jr., who has worked for several labor unions in addition to serving as a senior staff person in the national AFL-CIO. Fletcher is the former president of Trans-Africa Forum. He's a senior scholar at the Institute of Policy Studies. He's an editorial board member of blackcommentator.com. Books he has co-authored include The Indispensable Ally, Black Workers, and the Formation of the Congress of Industrial Organizations, 1934-41 and Solidarity Divided, The Crisis in Organized Labor, and A New Path Towards Social Justice. And he is the author of They're Bankrupting Us and 20 Other Myths About Unions. I don't know if we'll have time to talk about unions today. I hope so. We may have to have Bill back on again uh, because he is also a a columnist and a commentator and uh, has been writing about Africa, and I want to talk about that. You can find him at BillFletcherJr.com. Bill, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. I'm really glad to be on the program, and thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to finally have you on here, and I am expecting to learn something from this show. You know, sometimes right. I have people on to uh, uh, present stuff I know or just to give them a hard time, but uh, I think I'm going to learn about this topic. Uh, your Your latest... Uh, opinion piece at the Telesor website is called Obama should push Morocco to respect Sahrawi self-determination. Let's talk about what that means, who you're talking about, what Western Sahara is. Uh, Give us some background. Well, in northwestern Africa, situated between Morocco to the north, uh, Algeria to the east and Mauritania to the east and the south is this territory that is called the Western Sahara. It was controlled by Spain up until 1975. Um, And there was a liberation movement that started in the 60s called, uh, it's known by its acronym, Polisario, P-O-L-I-S-A-R-I-O, And that's an acronym for a popular front for the liberation of uh, these two territories that were part of Western Sahara. And uh, Polisario was successful in basically pushing the Spanish to withdraw. But the Spanish withdrew in a very strange way. They essentially announced one day, okay, we're gone. And, you know, you three countries, Algeria, Morocco, Mauritania, you figure out what you want to do with this territory. And it was uh, contrary to international law in the, in the way they did it, completely chaotic. So well, What should they have done? They should have negotiated with the people of the Western Sahara, who were themselves looking for independence. Mm. But instead of doing that, they decided to leave it to the countries that were uh, surrounding the Western Sahara. So there was no self-determination. So uh, what ended up happening is that Morocco and Mauritania invaded the Western Sahara. Uh, Mauritania was essentially defeated and decided to concede the territory. But Morocco did not decide to do that. They instead sent thousands and thousands of settlers to what was called the Green March into the Western Sahara 
to take over the territory. And they drove out uh, much of the native population, people known as Sarari, um, which is spelled two different ways, but it's basically Sarari. And they, uh, this population ended up in refugee camps in Algeria. Algeria has supported Polisario ever since. Now, a war went on between Polisario and Morocco until 1991, when a truce was uh, declared, and the Moroccans agreed to respect self-determination through a referendum. Uh, and in the period since 1991, the Moroccans have not respected uh, self-determination. They have not gone forward with a referendum. And with the support of France and the United States, they have been completely intransigent. Uh, and so you have the situation that in many ways is remarkably similar to that faced by the Palestinians, where you, you, know, you have a territory that is largely occupied, the Moroccans occupy most of the Western Sahara. There is a small liberated zone uh, that the Polisario control. And, uh, and the Moroccans refuse to move forward with a peaceful and just settlement of this, despite uh, a variety of calls for this, and despite the fact that the African Union uh, has recognized what's known as the Sarari Arab Democratic Republic, which is the government in exile was set up by Polisario. So that's it in, in a nutshell. Is it, is it similar to Israel-Palestine in terms of regional response and outrage? Uh, and is it similar in terms of uh, the positions taken by nations and international bodies around the world? That's a fascinating question, David. Um, so in terms of the first one, the, there's this irony in that the, uh, the Polisario has significant international governmental support. Um, at the same time, there, within the Arab world, there's a whole division of opinion about how to deal with the question, because this is an occupation that is being carried out by an Arab-slash-Berber country, Morocco. And so much of the Arab world is basically silent. And at the same time that you have a lot of international uh, support in the forms of government, there is very little popular mobilization around the Western Sahara. Most people, certainly in the United States, but this is true in a lot of other places, have not a clue where the Western Sahara is, what's at stake. And, and so there's this relative level of silence. And, and part of the factor here, or part of what I would factor in, is that I believe that Polisario uh, thought that with the international governmental support that they had received, and that there was this truce that was promising a referendum, that that was going to be enough. But what's happened is that the Moroccans just stall, and there's increasing frustration developing within a Sarari population, particularly those that are living in the refugee camps. 
it, it seems like in the United States there's increasing activism among young people about Palestinian rights and injustices there, and I think in part because it's a maybe it's a it's a wealthier nation, it's more in the news in terms of uh, of big actions, and there are more connections, more people have been from the United States to Israel or Palestine. Uh, I mean, are those are those factors? Is it because this is a poor, uh, sparsely populated region? Is it because it's in Africa? Is it because nobody's been there? You know, it's interesting. I think it's probably all three. Uh, I think it also is, and this may sound a bit perverse, because there is no war going on there. Right. In other words, when the war was going on, it was receiving some attention. When, uh, you know, this is one of those examples of no good deed goes unpunished. So the Polisario agrees to a truce and, and agrees to abide by uh, the, the regulations of the truce, and the Moroccans don't. And there's no penalty for the Moroccans. So I think that you don't have in the United States either a significant Moroccan population or Sarari population that raises any of these issues. It is in Africa, as you said, and the attitude of the mainstream establishment in the United States towards Africa and the attitude of much of the population is sort of um, uh, denial at best, uh, you know, not, not at all staying on top of it, not being aware of the complexity of the issues. So you have these factors that have contributed, and I think you're right. I think that the, that the rise of mobilization and activism around Palestine is actually in many ways a model for what needs to happen around the Western Sahara, because the United States does have involvement here. It is absolutely complicit insofar as they have privileged their relationship with Morocco above the, um, the, uh, the, the self-determination for the Sarari. Now, but here's an irony, David, that I, uh, I think you'll find amusing. The, in the 1990s, former Secretary of State under George H.W. Bush, James Baker, was chosen by the United Nations, by Kofi Annan, to be his special representative to help to mediate the resolution of the crisis. In, in, in the Western Sahara. Over, I believe, roughly 10 years he worked at this. And in 2004, he stepped down, completely frustrated with the Moroccans. Every attempt he made at a compromise, most of which the Sarari, the Polisario, ended up agreeing with, including his last proposal, which con- co- uh, contained major concessions on the part of Polisario. Um, the Moroccans undermined. Baker resigned. He just said, essentially, he'd had it and couldn't deal with the Moroccans. As a result, there is a strange configuration of forces on the political right who actually support self-determination for the Sarari because they're furious with the Moroccans. And one of the people you'll never believe is Bolton the former U.S. representative to the United Nations under George uh, W. Bush. 
it does sound a little different from Israel then. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I wonder, you know, when, when there ought to be incredible frustration with Israel, on the contrary, there's here, would you like more free weapons next year? Here, can we protect you from any consequences for your crimes? It, it, what, is, what sort of pressure, if any, can be brought to bear on Morocco, and why isn't it? Well, let me, let me answer it like this. The United States' interest here is that Morocco has been a very convenient neocolony, uh, in many ways shared by the United States and France. It has been very... Uh, uh, it has it gone with the program, let's say. And, uh, and with the so-called war against terrorism, the United States has been careful about the, uh, many of the allies it's chosen uh, and wanting to shore up those regimes. The Moroccan regime has quite a number of internal cracks. There have been labor struggles. There have been uh, uh, Islamists who have been rising. You have a number of different factors. And, and so from the standpoint of the United States, the Sahrawis, who total at the population in Western Sahara is between five and 600,000, of which maybe um, 50%, including people in refugee camps, are actually Sarari. So you're not talking about a huge number of people, but it, you know, it's significant. Um, the, the standpoint of the United States is that, you know, like, this doesn't matter. These people, in essence, don't matter. And, and so they, their alignment with Morocco is more important. Now, what that means in terms of pressure is actually an interestingly different but similar to the struggles around, struggle around Palestine. So first of all, although there is a Moroccan lobby in the United States, and you don't hear much about it, but it, is, it exists, and it seems to be fairly persuasive in Congress in, in killing uh, different efforts. It's not the same as the pro-Israel Zionist lobby. Uh, it doesn't have the same strength. Although, interestingly, APAC has uh, issued uh, papers essentially in favor of the Moroccan occupation, of, uh, of the Western Sahara, and I have no doubt that they're sharing information with the Moroccans uh, to help them with their lobby. So you don't have a major constituency in, in the United States from Morocco that parallels anything from Israel. So that's sort of the good news. Um, the pressure on, that can be brought to bear on Morocco I believe, needs to uh, be exerted in two different ways. One is directly on the the Obama administration and on Congress. And the second is on Morocco itself, Uh, that Morocco is certainly not as strong economically, politically, or militarily as Israel. Uh, It is quite vulnerable to pressure. Uh, And it is able to sustain itself largely because France uh, is, is right there in its corner. Uh, I wrote that piece 
that you referred to in the beginning of the program, in part because I do think that there is pressure that can be brought to bear on Congress and on the White House around this. The, but one of the, the challenges that I have uh, found through this work is that simply going to Congress, uh, which I've done uh, on a couple of occasions, and asking to even be listened to regarding Western Sahara is a major challenge because people there, the Congress people and their staff, essentially feel that they can blow you off and that there's no consequence, that there's not a constituency that is going to make life difficult for them uh, if they ignore you. Therein lies the challenge, and therein lies the opportunity, I would argue. It sounds like just about every other issue I care about when it comes to Congress, and so I've, I turn to to local and state activities. You know, can cities in the United States build relationships with cities over there, or towns, or areas over there? You know, is there some body we have some control over that can can contribute here? And, and I also worry because when you ask the United States to do something. In Africa, the only thing I can imagine it thinking to do is sell more weapons or send in more special forces, uh, which presumably is going to make matters worse. I mean, Algeria is one of these countries that Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, waived restrictions on shipping weapons to after money flowed from Algeria into her personal foundation. Uh, I mean, this sort of response from the U.S. government is presumably not what you want and not what the Sahrawi people want. No, and it's, it, your points are very, very interesting and well taken. And, and I have to respond to them sort of in pieces. Uh, one is on the question of Algeria, and, and then the other is about what we actually can look for with the United States. Um, the Algeria is very, very complicated. For many people of my generation, I'm a baby boomer, we grew up to a great extent inspired by the Algerian Revolution against France. And Algeria's initial efforts after independence uh, in terms of international solidarity, as well as certain internally transformative steps that were taken uh, at least up until 1965-66 when there was a coup uh, against uh, President Benbella. Um, Algeria is, uh, is dominated by a very repressive government. Um, but that repressive government has been consistently supportive of Polisario. And therein is where we have to be, we're dealing with a, an incredibly complicated matter. Because... It, it is absolutely the case that the Algerians have stood with Polisario and have helped them in the international arena at the same time that there's a whole series of challenges, which we could spend an entire program on, uh, within Algeria itself. And, and so let's say one has to walk very carefully on this matter. Um, in terms of the United States, there are things that the United States can do. Um, and in some ways, it's analogous to the pressure that was put on Indonesia 
when uh, in the case of East Timor, that you can, uh, the, the, the United States could play actually a very positive role in the United Nations on the Western Sahara. You know, right now, Christopher Ross is the appointed um, representative uh, for the Secretary General and working on this. Theoretically, the United States government should be backing up Ross through the, in the mediation process. But again, there's no pressure on, on the Obama administration or anyone else to do anything around it. The United States could, in fact, put pressure on Morocco to uh, go with a referendum. Uh, that is not at all beyond uh, the possibility. Um, they, there is no need for the deployment of U.S. military personnel there. There may at some point be, may, there may at some point be a need to deploy an international force there, a peacekeeping force, uh, when self-determination is being exercised. But at this point, that's not what's even in the cards. What's in the cards right now is actually political pressure on the Moroccans and, and, in fact, the French. As long as the French feel uh, no pressure, the Moroccans will feel no pressure. We're speaking with Bill Fletcher, Jr. Bill, we have about seven minutes left, and I, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned in your article the, that if this is not resolved peacefully, there is this danger of al-Qaeda spreading further okay. into these frustrated people in, in refugee camps in Algeria and elsewhere. Um, it, it, what, what does that danger look like, and to what extent is this part of the disastrous results of the U.S.-NATO overthrow of, of Libya. Very interesting again, David. Um, so I'm actually quite worried about this. Not that I'm saying that it's imminent. Polisario has uh, great leadership and respect in the camps and among the Sarari people. And efforts by al-Qaeda in the Maghreb uh, to infiltrate the movement so far have been totally unsuccessful. Uh, despite Moroccan propaganda. Mor the Moroccan government has tried to uh, allege that the Polisario is a terrorist organization and other such slanders, and, and none of that um, passes muster. So, but, the, but the frustration which was uh, raised during the Polisario's recent Congress, which was this uh, past December, uh, and uh, has existed internationally. I mean, it's very real. Um, you know, Polisario stood down uh, militarily. They, um, they stood down. They did not continue military attacks. The Moroccans have continued to strengthen their domination of the occupied zones of Western Sahara. And, uh, and people have grown up in these refugee camps, much as in uh, occupied Palestine and, uh, and in uh, refugee camps in the rest of the Arab world, having never been in their homeland. So this is creating an immense amount of frustration. Al-Qaeda in the Maghreb, as you know, has been very active, and uh, they were active in Algeria, active most recently in Mali. And yes, I would say that the... Um, the, 
what initiated as an insurrection and civil war in Libya, but was then, in effect, hijacked by NATO uh, and the collapse of the Gaddafi regime, has meant that there is a, a proliferation of arms in northern Africa and western Africa that come from the uh, caches of the Gaddafi regime. So you have the ingredients for an explosion. Al-Qaeda in the Maghreb, which is not a liberation movement, is a completely, totally reactionary movement, um, along with these weapons, along with discontent and Moroccan intransigence. So even from the, the narrow standpoint of U.S. security interests, the United States should be attempting to resolve the situation peacefully. Because the longer that it continues, the more likely it is that there'll be some sort of explosion. And no one will be able to predict what that explosion will be like. And as I, as I argued in the, in the essay, I don't think people should assume that another explosion will be limited to the territory of the Western Sahara. I don't think people should assume that it will be the same kind of fight that existed in the 70s and 80s when Polisario troops were going through the desert on jeeps, right, with machine guns. I think that we could be looking at something that becomes far uglier uh, if, if this doesn't get resolved soon. With, with like three minutes left, uh, what is it that Polisario wants in terms of the the settlers that are there? Uh, I mean, is it a, a multi-state solution? What sort of uh, yeah. what would resolve this? Well, the original proposal was a, a referendum of the Sarari people themselves, and then what happened is that James Baker's proposal in the early two thousand was that there would be a vote that included all of the Sararis and the settlers, and there would be, an, uh, there would be options. Uh, independence would be one, autonomy, and I think um, absorption into Morocco would be a third. Now, this, the Polisario was very uneasy about this, did not like this, because giving the settlers a vote tilts them dramatically, but they were prepared to do it. It was the Moroccans that shut it down. At this point, ideally what the, the, the Polisario is looking for is a vote of the, set, of the, um, of the indigenous people, the Sarari. They want the Sararis to have the right to decide, do they want to be an independent country or have some sort of relationship with Morocco? And, and I should just say that the Moroccan argument is that this was originally part of Morocco before the Spanish took it. And, the, and, and international, various international bodies have determined over the years that there is simply no legitimacy to the Moroccan claim. Even if there was truth to that, it was well before, well into the 19th century, uh, and that a, a, a people developed in what was then called the Spanish Sahara, who had a very different uh, culture, history, political life than, uh, than do the people in, in Morocco. So it's for those reasons 
that the right of self-determination for the Sararis needs to be supported and supported immediately. Extremely informative and educational, as I expected. We've been speaking with Bill Fletcher, Jr. You can check him out at BillFletcherJr.com. That's J-R.com. Bill, thank you for bringing this to our attention and for all the good work you do, and I hope to have you back on in the future. Much appreciated, David, and you take care, and thanks to your listeners. Thank you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at RootsAction.org. Among other current actions, you can tell President Obama to pardon CIA whistleblower Jeffrey Sterling. Imagine sitting in prison because you went to Congress to report on the CIA giving away nuclear weapons plans. Enough is enough. Let Jeffrey Sterling go. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.